what we're all about here. Now, I just want everybody to know, just, just remind everybody that we believe that the end of the world as we know it is coming to an end. We believe that. And as, I'll, as you'll see in just a moment, we're not the only ones that believe that. We believe that Jesus is coming again. We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you read your Bible and if you know your New Testament, then you know that this is a theme that we see again and again. The believers in Thessalonians, they, uh, they were confused and wondering uh, a little bit about the end of times. There were some conflicting reports about what was going to happen. And, and here's, what, here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we, will, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, Jesus spoke about, about the end of days, what the last days would be like. In fact, the disciples wanted to know. They, they, we read in Matthew 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Um, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, they said, when will all this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? People want to know. The disciples wanted to know. And people from every culture, every part of this world, in virtually every language, has asked that question, when will the end of the world come? What will it be like? The Mayans as some of you have heard again and again, have predicted that on December the 12th, 2012, the world as we know it would come to an end. How many know that, well, you have to be living under a rock if you don't know this, but how many know that there was a movie that came out called 2012? Everybody remember that? Yeah, it was, there was a lot of hoopla over that. Um, we read that prophecies, the Native American cultures, including the Hopi, the Cherokee, uh, the Peruvian Cuero, all support a coming doomsday near 2012. You read about the end of the world in the Sibylline Oracles, and Merlin the Magician prophesied the coming of the end of the world. And uh, Merlin the Magician, by the way, is a, is a real man. He's not just somebody fabricated by Disney World. If you know your history, you know that there was actually a person called that. I Ching, some 3,000 years ago in China, predicted the end of the world. You can go to the ancient Sumerians, the Egyptian Sothic cycles, and St. Malachi predicts that there'll be only one more pope after the present one, uh, concluding with a pope described in the prophecy as Peter the Roman. And, uh, and St. Malachi says his pontificate will end in the destruction of the city of Rome and then the judgment. Well, whether that will happen or not, I don't know. It's not, it's not out of the Bible, but... I'm telling you this to say that there is, there's always been this, this awareness that things will not go on as they are. We read it even in, the, in, in Islam, we read it in Hinduism, the understanding that the world will eventually end. Now, Here's what I discovered. Even people who would not call themselves believers or Christians, 
people who don't necessarily call themselves followers of Christ, would recognize or sense that the world, the way it's going right now, can't carry on as it is. In fact, scientists, uh, just coming up with cold hard facts, will tell you that the way things are going right now, it can't go on like this forever. There's got to be changes. Something's got to give. So we sense that. And although we may not be able to articulate it, and although we may not be able to, to give the, all the scientific reasons why, there is within our population, within our culture, within the world today, an underlying movement in our hearts where we know that something is up, something's about to happen, that things cannot go on as they are. Well, Jesus prophesies about this very thing. He talks about the end of days and what it would be like. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, not right now, but when you get home, take out your Bible and read, uh, the, read the passages in the Gospels that talk about the end of times. I hear people say, you know, the Bible is boring. Okay, anybody who says the Bible is boring doesn't know what's in the Bible. You mean, you just to prove to me that you don't read it. Read Matthew 24. In fact, read, read much of the, the last half of Matthew, and you will see Jesus' instruction on these last days. Matthew 24, verse 30 to 31, says this, And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And just keep that in mind, the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. The Pew Foundation, the Pew Research Foundation, found this. They report that one in five Americans believe that Christ will return in this current generation. I'm not saying that they believe that Christ will return. I'm saying they re- that Christ will return in this present generation. There's a feeling in the air. People sense things are changing. Things uh, are unstable. The U.S. News and World Report poll revealed that 60% of all Americans from all faith backgrounds, did you get that? 60% of all Americans from all faith backgrounds believe the world will eventually end. Interesting. 60%. 20 20% say that Earth's life expectancy is probably just a couple of decades. There's a feeling in the air. We see it. If you watch the news, you see what's happening in the, in the, uh, in the economic uh, realm. It's, it's very shaky, very uncertain. Even as we speak, Europe is in crises. Even as we speak, the United States is in crisis. There's talk of downgrading their credit rating. Who would ever have believed that that would happen in our generation? Those of us who grow up uh, with, with, in the midst of the Cold War when America was the greatest nation on earth never would have believed that America could ever become second or third or fourth place in terms of economic or military might. But I'm telling you people, things are changing. There's a, there's a movement afoot. Now, people are, are anxious about what's coming. If you go to Google and Google end of days or Google 2012, you'll see that um, there are literally 
hundreds of thousands of sites that deal with this, that touch on this subject. It's, it's incredible. Google 2012, and I think it comes up like 950 million different, different hits, different sites. Unbelievable. We're living in the midst of great turmoil, We're, and we believe that Jesus could come at any time. Now, here's the thing. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. What Jesus wants for you, my friends, is that you be ready. I had someone report to me that, uh, uh, that their child was terrified uh, after the service last week or the week before. I'm not sure which. But there's no need to be terrified, friends. If your heart is right with God, if you're ready to see Jesus, then you can join in with the early believers and all who believe and have put their faith in Jesus and actually look at the return of Christ as the glorious hope, the glorious event that we're all looking forward to. Amen? Yeah. In Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I want to tell you, I grew up, um, I grew up hearing about the end of days. And in the 1970s, there, there were movies that came out. You heard me say this a few weeks ago. Movies came out that dealt with the end of times. And it literally uh, terrified a lot of people. But here's the thing. You don't need to be terrified. You don't need to be afraid. Um, and there was a feeling in there, man, Jesus could come back any time. And so some of us who were, you know, pushing 50, uh, you, th- you know, we've been hearing this for the last 30 years, and so maybe we're a little bit tired of it. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe something else is going to happen. Can I just remind everybody of something right now? It's only been just, just recently that we've actually seen all the signs be fulfilled, all except the coming of the Antichrist, the revelation of the Antichrist. We are, we are now positioned, as in no time in history, we are positioned to see Jesus return. It's just a matter of time now. And frankly, it could happen at any time, especially when you see what's happening in the Middle East. To tell me this. I mean, you see Israel right now surrounded by, by neighbors that want to see every last one of the Israelis put to death. You see Iran right now positioning itself with a nuclear bomb to, to, and prepared and willing and wanting to bomb Israel. You've seen that in the news in the last, the last few days and the last few weeks. You tell me if the world isn't ready for someone to step in and say, I can solve this problem. I can bring peace to the Middle East. My friends, when that happens, then you know that Jesus' return is any moment. Now, Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. And some people think that because Jesus said that, that therefore we shouldn't be studying or spending time on prophecy, we shouldn't be trying to figure out the day, that we shouldn't be studying the subject. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is not saying, don't study end times. He's not saying, don't study prophecy. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply stating a time frame. At least that's what I believe. Some of you are familiar with the uh, seven major Jewish festivals or feasts. Um, the, the first one 
Passover. Is how many have heard of Passover? Yes, you've heard of Passover. And um, you know that when God was preparing to deliver Israel out of Egypt, that all the Jewish people were instructed to slaughter what we call now the Passover lamb, and that the blood from that sacrificed lamb should be put on the doorpost and the lintel uh, of the of the door into their home. And that when the death angel passed by, the firstborn in that home would be spared. That, my friends, is a shadow of what is to come. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is absolutely essential. Some people think, you know, we're in, the new, we're in a new dispensation, the age of grace, and so all that really matters is the New Testament. That is so wrong. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that he did not come to, get a, to do away with the Old Testament and the prophets and the, and the law of Moses. How many know that today? Jesus says not one jot or tittle will be removed. It's, it's all there for a reason. And so here's what we discover. We discover that in the Old Testament, we see the prophecies of what is to come. And Jesus says about himself, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so these seven Feasts that Moses institutes are in fact feasts that speak to the day when Jesus will come. How many understand this today? The Old Testament is as valid today as it was when, when, they were, when those words were first delivered because it spoke to the time when Jesus would come to this earth and do his, his great redeeming work. So the Old Testament's a shadow of what's to come. We read that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. We read that in Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Now here's what a lot of people don't understand, is that some of those festivals that speak about Christ have all, are, are actually prophetic festivals, and that some of those have already come into being. For instance, the Passover, what does it represent? It represents what? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus is what? The Passover lamb. Do you understand this? And that all who put their faith in Jesus, all who believe that the, that the blood that was shed on the cross by Jesus is for all who put their faith in Christ. If you've done that, my friends, then the Passover feast has been fulfilled in your life. This is why it's celebrated. The Passover represents the crucifixion of Christ. That's the first festival. The second festival, the festival of unleavened bread, represents what? It represents the burial of Christ. He, Jesus, Jesus is without sin. He represents unleavened bread. The, first, the Feast of First Fruits, which is the third major feast, it represents what? It represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, Listen to this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus is a fulfillment of these first three feasts. Then the fourth uh, feast, the Feast of Pentecost. Does anybody remember when that was fulfilled? That feast was, was fulfilled? Acts chapter 2. We talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, you, you've heard that term before. Some of you know that this is a Pentecostal church. This is a church that recognizes 
and honors the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We see these first four feasts fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. Does anybody know what the fifth feast is? The fifth feast is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Look at that passage of Scripture there. Verse 31, And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets called also the Days of Awe, known as Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. This celebration includes both a last trumpet, and you ready for this? It's also called the, the Feast of the Unknown Day and Hour. Listen to this verse again, Matthew 24, 36. No one knows about the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So no one knows the day or the hour. It's actually a Hebrew idiom that was very specifically referring to a single day, the day of trumpets. Now in Matthew 24, 31, it says this, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now the reason that this feast is called the Feast of the Unknown Day and Hour was it's because it's the only one of their holy days that actually falls on the first day of a biblical lunar month. And here's the explanation. In Jesus' day, the biblical calendar months were based strictly on the lunar cycle. This meant a month could be either 29 or 30 days since the last lunar cycle. Now, the lunar cycle is actually 29.5 days. So the month began on the evening that the very first sliver of the new crescent moon became visible. Their system was to wait for two witnesses to confirm that they had seen the new moon before the new month could be declared on the 29th or the 30th. Are you understanding this this morning? We're talking about a feast that's unknown because it depends on when the moon appears. It's an unknown day and hour, and it, it requires two witnesses to confirm that actually the month has begun and, that the and therefore that the feast has begun. So the one holy day that falls on the first day of the month still is still the feast that no man knows the day or the hour of. So you can see now that he was actually con confirming that the day of the rapture would be the Feast of Trumpets. I cannot believe that the very first four feasts celebrated by the Jewish people with such incredible significance, the, the death, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, I cannot believe that, that the next feasts don't have or don't hold significance. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that these these feasts are prophetic in nature. They are telling us what is to come. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to get your Bible out uh, at home, open it up and start reading it again, and start looking for what God is doing in these days. 
And let's say this, uh, many, including Messianic Jews, believe that the return of the Lord to gather together his elect will occur during the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know when that will happen. I checked the uh, Jewish calendar to find out when the next Feast of uh, Trumpets is, and it's September the 17th, 2012. I don't know. Maybe this is it, folks. But I can tell you this, because I don't know the day or the hour. I can tell you this, that Jesus wants you to be ready. He wants you to be prepared. And here's the thing that Jesus tells us, not once, but time and again. He says that when the Son of Man comes, it will be a big shock, a big surprise for a lot of people. In Matthew 24, 37 to 41, listen to what Jesus says. It says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating and, and getting together for a party and getting married. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's just life, isn't it? And Jesus goes on to say, and they knew nothing about what, what happened until the flood actually came and took them all away. And Jesus says, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Is Jesus saying he's got something against being out there working in the field or grinding uh, with a handmill? Of course not. What Jesus is saying is this, is that people in the last days will be so caught up in their own lives and their own own details of their lives, their own work, their own fun, their own parties, that the last thing that will be on their minds is the return of Jesus. And the thing that you and I need to understand is that as believers who are on fire for God and who are following Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, is that we are looking for Christ's return. This is who we are, people. This is, what it, this is what defines a believer. We are anxious. We are thrilled. We are looking forward to Jesus' return. This is, this is what fills our hearts with joy and gladness. And it's so easy, isn't it, to be caught up in our education, in our career, in our, our marriage plans, our career, our, our houses, our car, our possessions, our daily bread, birthdays, anniversaries, and and on and on it goes. There's so much to do. And God, I'll try to schedule, into, schedule you into my, into my agenda. And what God is saying to us is that He's got to be number one. He's got to fill our days, fill our hearts, fill our minds, day by day, moment by moment. You said, but Pastor, this sounds, like, this sounds impossible. And if you think it's impossible, guess what? You're right. You are right. You can't do it on your own. You need the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken you and to fill your heart with a hunger, with a desire, with a longing to see Jesus. Jesus said, with man, this is, in, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But what did you think? You're not just following, following a, a 12-step program. You're not just following a philosophy of life. When you were born again, you were given the Spirit of Almighty God to dwell within you, who leads you, who controls you, who guides you. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
means that we are looking for Christ's return. I got to tell you, um, my grandparents, beautiful, beautiful, godly Christian people, my dad's parents, uh, I mean, there's hardly a time I'd go to their home and I didn't hear my grandma talking about Jesus' return. It's just who she was. It's just what she did. And she'd say to me, Alan, she'd say, are you ready to see Jesus? I think so. What do you mean you think so? You've got to make sure because if Jesus comes tonight, are you going to be ready to see him? Yay, Grandma. Parents, you've got to do that with your kids. Look them straight in the eye and say, are you ready to see Jesus? I do that with some of the young people. It freaks them right out of their minds. They're not used to that. Are you ready to, see, are you ready to meet him? Are you going to be ready when he comes? It's thrilling this morning that one... Uh, among others, one young lady comes to me and said, Pastor, I need you to pray with me. I just want to make sure that I'm ready. We prayed together. We prayed a prayer. And she just asked Jesus into her life. And tears streaming down her cheeks. I said, how do you feel now? She said, I feel ready. Yes. That's what I live for. And that's what it's about. Are you ready? Does it fill your heart? Grandma would say, man, I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to go home anytime. I'm ready for Jesus to come. I wish Jesus would come now. Jesus could be coming anytime, you know. And then when she got dementia, it was like all she talked about. And it was very pleasant. It was very thrilling. Because it had so filled her mind and her heart that that was the thing she was living for. She said, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see Jesus. Folks, that is really what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means that you are so in love with Christ and so desirous of his return this is what the Apostle Paul said, isn't it? To live is Christ and to die is, is gain. It's like, either way, I'm with my Lord. Do you know the early days of the Pentecostal movement, and this church is part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, the early days of the movement, there were four cardinal teachings on salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing, and, and the return of the Lord. Christ the, the Savior, Christ the Baptizer and Sanctifier, Christ the healer, and Christ the coming Lord. And this was a constant message. It was a constant theme. A believer would hear this on a regular basis. There wouldn't be a month go by where you didn't hear some message, some sermon, something about the coming of Jesus. And what it did is it, it set their hearts on fire so that they didn't, they didn't want any of their friends or any of their family to perish. They wanted everyone to be ready when Jesus returns. And that, my friends, is why the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in, their, in its early days experienced explosive growth. People were coming to Christ on a, on a regular basis. I can tell you this. The minute we forget that Jesus is coming again, the minute we forget that being united with Christ is the most important, most thrilling event of our lives, until we understand that and remember that, my friends, we'll be unprepared for Christ's return. As a little boy, and some of you have heard me say this, my dad, my dad hated it um, if he came home and he saw us all sitting around watching TV. And I kind of like my dad. I don't like seeing it either, actually. Any parents here? You don't want to see your kids sitting there watching their brains turn to mush, Right? And I'd position myself, and I, I don't know, I think my sister might remember this. Um, I'd position myself in the green chair that was looking out the window. The TV was off to the side, the window was there, and my dad would always pull up 
in, in his old Buick Park right in front of the house. So with one eye looking out the window and the other eye watching Hogan's Heroes or Gilligan's Island, I would be half enjoying the program and then half watching for my dad. And as soon as the car pulled up, it was, Dad's home! And everybody turned the TV off. I'd run and get a broom and a dustpan and... Hi, Dad! <laughs> I was ready for his return. Now, now here's the thing. Uh, there is something a little bit dishonest in all that, wasn't there? Can I tell you this? You can't pull one over on God. How many know that today? You can't pull one over on God. You can't say, oh, well, when he comes, I'll just quickly, you know, forgive me, Jesus, and everything's going to be okay. That's not the way it works. Jesus says he's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't even, you won't even, you won't even be expecting it. It'll be in a moment you just don't expect it. And my question for you this morning is this, are you going to be ready? I look out here and I know almost all of you. And the thought, the thought that maybe some of you wouldn't be spending eternity with me, it absolutely breaks my heart. I believe with all my heart for some of you, this will be your last chance to get it right. God's giving you, God in his mercy and his grace is giving you one more chance to get yourself sorted out, to get ready for his return. What you need to do is you need to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to make sure that you put your faith in Christ. In Revelation 21, 27, this is what it says. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter the city of God. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I read that to you one more time? Nothing evil will be allowed to enter the city of God. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, when you get to heaven, contrary to what you might have thought or what you may have heard, God is not holding a, a set of scales there to weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds, and if your good deeds are greater than your bad deeds, then you get into heaven. It doesn't work like that at all. That's baloney. It's not in the Bible. What gets you into heaven, my friend, is that you've put your faith in, in the Passover lamb. His name is Jesus. The death angel will pass over you. You will have eternal life if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that day when you say, Jesus, come into my life, I want to accept you into my life. I want to be your child. I want to be part of your family. I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. On the day that you do that, the Bible says this, Jesus will put your name in the Lamb's book of life. And so when you stand before Jesus, it, it, he's not going to be standing there with a scale. He's going to be standing there with a book, and he's going to be looking for your name, and he's going to say, aha, uh-huh, there it is. Alan Duncalf. Yes. 
There it is. Gloria Duncap. Yes! We're in, dear. There it is. Jesse, Nicholas, Sarah. Parents, husbands, I know about the state of my family. I know that my family is in the Lamb's book. Do you know about your family? Parents, have you asked your kids point blank? Have you looked them in the eye and said, are you going to be ready to see Jesus should he return? That's your job. It's my job as a pastor to ask you. So if I ask you, are you ready to see Jesus? Don't get mad at me. I'm just doing my job. Are you ready to see Jesus? Folks, today may be your last opportunity. And I would say this to you. Do not leave this building until you know that you know that you know that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. You say, Pastor, I'm pretty sure my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is there anything else that I need to know? Yeah. Yeah. You need to make sure that you're living a holy life because it says in Hebrews that without holiness, no one will see God. Do you understand what holiness is? It's, it's, we're talking about purity, blameless living. Now, some people grew up with the idea that you could, you could literally live like hell through the course of the week, go to the priest on Saturday, say a few Hail Marys and cross yourself and everything is cool. And you can go on living a dirty, filthy life. And I'm going to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because my Bible tells me that nothing impure or unholy will enter that holy city where God is. God is calling you to live a pure and holy life. Look what Paul says to the church in Philippi. And I'm almost done. Listen to what he says. He says, for I want you to understand what really matters. Did you get that? Paul says, I want you to understand what really matters. All the things that you think matter are not as important as what, what really matters. And here's what really matters. Here it is. Ready? So that you may live pure and blameless lives, listen to this, until the day of Christ's return. Some of you here today would be extremely embarrassed if suddenly I had some kind of a secret tool that I could take, shine it on you, and that it would project all of your present secret activity onto the screen. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you right now are living lives that are totally, and you know this, because even as I'm speaking to it, your stomach is turning, you feel, feel lightheaded, lighthearted, something's not right inside. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. It's time for you to clean up the mess in your heart. This unconfessed thing, you need to deal with it now. If you're holding a grudge, you need to deal with it now. If you're angry at somebody, you need to get rid of it now. If you're, if you're viewing pornography on, on the Internet, you need to deal with that now. If you're watching movies that are not acceptable, if you're, if you're emotionally connected to somebody else who's not your spouse, you need to deal with that. God's giving you a warning today. For I want you to understand that what really matters so that you may live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. And you say, Pastor, I'm getting that part right too. Is there anything else? Yeah, there's one more thing I need to tell you. And you hear me talking about this all the time. You need to make sure that you are daily feeding on the Word of God. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You need to pick up this book again 
And you need to start reading it daily and studying it, especially now as we come to the end of time. Listen to what Paul says further to the Philippians. He says, listen, listen to this. He says, so hold firmly to the word of life. You know what the word of life is? Some of you haven't picked up a Bible in weeks and months. And you are falling into temptation. You're falling into sin. Remember what Jesus said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My friends, it's the power that's going to get you through. It's the most powerful force in the universe. The word of God. It's going to get you through whatever it is that you're facing. You have nothing to be afraid of. Feed on the word of God and watch what God will do in your own heart. Make sure that you're strengthening yourself in the word of God. Gloria, when we were away in October for a week, week away together, I said, what, what are you going to buy? She said, I think I'm going to buy myself a study Bible. Look at that. The wife of the pastor is buying a study Bible. And I said, that's a great idea. If you haven't got a Bible that you can read and understand, if you haven't got a study Bible that gives you notes and instructions, then I'm going to counsel you today. Let that be the very first thing you do this week. Go get yourself a Bible that you can read and understand and study because it is going to nourish you and strengthen you like nothing else will. Would you stand with me, please?